Our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and we'll be reading verses 4 to 16. You can either follow on in one of the Pew Bibles if you'd like or it will be on the screen behind me. Soon. There it is. Two Corinthians seven, beginning at verse four. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. Uh, let's pray as we come to think about God's word. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you for this uh, book of 2 Corinthians and the, uh, the way it helps us to think about <clears throat> church life and our relationships and what really matters in terms of the gospel. And we pray that we would be uh, encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be changed uh, by your word through your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you don't always appreciate what you've got until it's it's gone and that's uh, that's true isn't it it's true in many arenas of life 
Uh, it's uh, including friendships. And uh, think about those times in friendships uh, when uh, perhaps you may have uh, had someone who has been a, a good friend to you, but over time uh, we, we can start to take our friends for granted, can't we? Uh, you might start to take your friend for granted, maybe, uh, maybe dwelling a, a little bit uh, too much on their negatives, uh, maybe even uh, listening to people saying bad things about them and uh, tuning into a little bit of gossip about that person, uh, so that over time our, our attitude towards our friend starts to change and we become maybe not as close as what we used to be, uh, whilst they are left wondering why. That may or may not be true for you. But I think there are times when sometimes we just need to, to have a wake-up call, uh, something for, for, to happen which, which, which brings us to our senses and, and makes us realise that, that we've been closing our hearts to someone who, who we actually love. Uh, it happens in friendships. It happens in families. And don't we know that? And it can also happen in churches. And it's an issue which, which helps us to make sense of something uh, which the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians, uh, something which uh, at first glance seems maybe a little bit strange, uh, even... Well, come with me, have a look at it. Um, turn with, with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and see what you think about what uh, the Apostle Paul says in a couple of verses in uh, 2 Corinthians 7. And have a look, uh, please, at verses 12 and 13. Uh, this is what he, he says to the Corinthians. He says, So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. And by all this, we were encouraged. Now, what do you make of that? Someone in the church has done something which is wrong and Paul has written to the church about it, but, but why did Paul write? Did he write so that the problem would be solved? Well, I suggest partly that's true, but is that what he says? Is that what, what he says is the reason that he wrote to them? No, the reason he wrote to them was so that the Corinthians could see for themselves just how devoted to him that they were. Why? Why would the Corinthians need to see that about themselves? And why, why would Paul want them to be devoted to him? It's, it's not quite what we would expect Paul to write. So what's going on? And what is this letter that he wrote to them? Uh, now, we don't actually have that letter. Uh, that letter that he's referring to here uh, no longer exists and uh, it's, therefore it's not part of the Bible. 
Um, and so we, we need to put some pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together to, uh, to, to because we're getting here one part of a conversation without uh, knowing exactly what he had written to them. And I think it's helpful for us to, uh, to think a little bit again about the relationship that Paul had with the Corinthian church. We talked about this a month or two back in an introductory sermon. Uh, but uh, to recap, what do we know about the relationship between Paul and the Corinthians? Um, in uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, we see that uh, it was Paul who first preached the gospel in Corinth during one of his missionary journeys. Uh, he visited Corinth. He preached the gospel there. People heard about Jesus and people put their trust in Jesus. They responded positively to the gospel and a new church was begun. That's a great story from Acts chapter 18. It was Paul who brought the gospel to them. It was Paul who established uh, under God the church in Corinth. Now, after Paul had been there for a while, uh, he left Corinth uh, to uh, preach the gospel in, in Ephesus, which was the second largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. And you can see Ephesus there on that map. Uh, and during that time... Whilst he was in Ephesus, there were problems he had heard about which had emerged in the Corinthian church, uh, problems which uh, necessitated for Paul to make an urgent and an unplanned visit to them in order to help them to, uh, to work through those issues. And it turned out that that was a painful visit it was a painful visit because what Paul discovered that was that, uh, that his authority as an apostle uh, was being undermined. Um, and uh, it seems it was particularly by a certain man uh, within that congregation. And this in addition to uh, the slurring of his ministry that was going on uh, by the, uh, the false teachers, the so-called super-apostles. And so after returning to Ephesus, uh, Paul decided it wasn't prudent for him to go back personally to see them again whilst they were still uh, not respecting his authority as an apostle. And so he decided to write them a letter. And it was a letter in which it seems that he was requiring that the particular man who was undermining his authority as an apostle, that that man be disciplined. Uh, it was for Paul a difficult letter because uh, he knew that his relationship with the Corinthian church seemed to be slipping and he didn't know how they would respond. Now, um, in those days, there was no postal service. There's no surprise in that. And uh, in a sense, uh, that's not a bad thing in this particular case because... What it meant was that Paul, in writing this letter to them from Ephesus to Corinth, that the letter had to be hand-delivered and uh, it, had to be hand, it was hand-delivered by, uh, uh, by his co-worker, uh, Titus, and that meant that the Corinthians, in receiving the letter, could 
could, could read through the letter, but that Titus was on hand to minister to them, to help them to process uh, the letter. And it meant that uh, um, Titus could then uh, later give a first-hand account to Paul as to how that letter had been received and how the Corinthians had responded. Now, uh, it was whilst Titus was in the process of delivering that letter that Paul had to leave Ephesus because of a riot uh, or following a riot that had broken out, uh, a riot uh, based on the effectiveness of the gospel in that city. And he had hoped to uh, rendezvous with, um, uh, with Titus initially in Troas, uh, but then uh, when uh, that didn't happen, he hoped to rendezvous with Titus uh, in Macedonia, uh, which you see there on your map. He hoped to rendezvous. He was very concerned to meet up with Titus because he was, he was deeply concerned about the effect of that letter. Well, let's hear from Paul uh, about how that worked out in what he later wrote to them in this letter that we do have before us. I'm going to read to you from verses 4 through to 7, if you'd like to follow that in your Bibles, where he says to the Corinthians, I have great confidence in you, I take great pride in you, I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him, he told us about your long, longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You know, Paul, he, he always seems to be able to find joy in difficult situations, doesn't he? Because he knows who he's serving. He knows who is in control. And here he talks about conflicts on the outside. As he, was, as he went into Macedonia, conflicts on the outside, probably because of persecution, but also fears within. What would have caused him fears within? Fears which were comforted, it seems. Fears which were about the, the dilution of his relationship with the Corinthians and fears which were comforted by God in the coming of Titus. Because Paul's difficult letter had become for the Corinthians that wake-up call of how foolish they had been in closing their hearts to someone who they actually loved. He brought the gospel to them. And now... Their longing, their deep sorrow, their ardent concern for Paul was the fruit of that wake-up call. Paul was greatly relieved. He was comforted by this good news from Titus. Now, imagine writing a difficult letter to someone and then having to wait for multiple months 
before you hear the response. Imagine that. I mean, these days we, you know, write a difficult, you know, some difficult stuff on an email, we press the send button and off it goes and the response comes back pretty quick, doesn't it? <laughs> pretty quick. By the way, maybe don't write difficult things by means of emails. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pick up the phone. Take the person out for a cup of coffee. There are better ways, but not for Paul in this circumstance at that time in the first century. And the last thing that he wanted to do, the last thing he wanted to do was to hurt the Corinthians by his words. And so it seems that at times during that wait that he wondered and that he felt regret perhaps for what he'd written. Have a look at verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but, but only for a little while, yet now I am happy, because not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by us in any way. Godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death. Now, when we uh, do something wrong to someone, is it good to say sorry? Absolutely. And you know, sorry can be a very powerful word. But is it enough? Is being sorry enough? Judas Iscariot was sorry after selling uh, the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, what kind of sorrow was that? What kind of sorrow? Well, it was wallowing in his misery, wallowing in his self-pity. That's, that's worldly sorrow, isn't it? Whereas godly sorrow leads to repentance, a change of action. Godly sorrow may start with our emotions, with our uh, feelings of sorrow, but it expresses itself in a change of actions, in how we behave. And that's true in the gospel, isn't it? You know, it's one thing to, to tell God that we're very, very sorry for our sins... When what we actually need to do is follow that up by repentance. We need to repent. <laughs> you can't just say to God, I'm sorry for my sins, but then ignore Jesus. No, we, we are sorry for our sins, and at God, if it's godly sorrow, it leads us to repentance, which means we put our faith in Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. Godly sorrow leads to repentance which leads to salvation whereas worldly sorrow it just leads to death now the Corinthians they could have dismissed Paul's letter Paul's difficult letter and said oh you know I'm not going to pay attention to that but they didn't did they no instead they they repented and they repented by following his instructions. 
by disciplining that man. And we saw more about that earlier on in in chapter 2, that the man was disciplined. (laughs) Paul actually had to write to them and said, look, he's actually repented now, so it's time to forgive him and restore him back into the relationships with the church. But they showed their repentance by following his instructions and disciplining the man. But that was just the presenting issue. The key issue, the underlying issue, was their relationship to Paul and whether or not they would respect his authority as an apostle. <clears throat> you know, in chapter 2, verse 9, he wrote about this and saying that the reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. <laughs> That's the reason he wrote to them. And here in verse 12, the reason he wrote to them was so that they could see before God how devoted to him they were. Why? I mean, fair enough that he wanted to have a good relationship with them, but um, does this sound perhaps a tad self-centred, authoritarian, even controlling? Why should they be devoted to Paul? Now, uh, last Sunday in uh, chapter 6, the issue was raised of being yoked. Do you remember that if you were here? of being yoked. And uh, we saw that it's an agricultural concept, which actually comes up in the Old Testament, but it's an agri- being yoked is an agricultural concept uh, and it looks like this. It would like, look like this if <clears throat> that was working. Yes, there it is. Okay, so we can see this is what it means to be yoked. Uh, this is what it means to be, in fact, um, equally yoked, where you've got two animals of the same species and of approximately the same size working together so that together they are stronger as they work in unity as one. And that's what it means to be equally yoked. What does it mean to be unequally yoked. (laughs) You get the picture, don't you? That's what it means to be unequally yoked and it never ends well. (laughs) It never ends well. The Corinthians, that was what they were doing. That was what they were doing. The Corinthians were yoking themselves with leaders who claimed to be Christians falsely. Um, If you turn over uh, in your Bibles to chapter 11, which we'll come to in more detail in a couple of weeks' time, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 11, Paul's concern is that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning in the garden, that so too the Corinthians were at risk of being deceived, of being led astray, not from their devotion, of being led astray from their devotion, not to Paul, but being led astray from their devotion to to Christ. By impressive leaders who had, who like their master in the Garden of Eden, had slithered their way into the congregation and promoting a false gospel. It was a gospel of Christ plus 
works, which uh, leads people away. It leads people away from the salvation which comes purely through the death and the resurrection of Christ. False apostles, who he, he says that they masqueraded as angels of light. Uh, like preachers today, who say that they believe the gospel, but don't accept the authority of God's word. You know, especially when God's word uh, contradicts our sinful natures and uh, the culture in which we live on issues uh, such as sexuality and marriage uh, and the sanctity of human life, both at the beginning of life and at the end of life. Uh, often, uh, no, actually I'd say always, rejecting the Apostle Paul and what he says. Or preachers who simply uh, promote a different gospel of one of health and wealth and uh, self-fulfilment uh, in this life. Or those who still today, uh, despite the Reformation, preach salvation by faith plus works. We must not be yoked. We must not be in partnership with false teachers. We must not be yoked to them. And Paul's concern for the Corinthians is that they should unyoke themselves from these so-called super apostles and re-yoke themselves to him. Not for his sake, but for their sake. For he is God's appointed apostle who is faithful to the gospel, the very gospel by which they have been saved in the first place. And in verses 13 through to 16, Paul is encouraged that Titus was, Titus came back so happy that he had been with the Corinthian church. And we can see in this the, the love of Paul, that he says to them in verse 14, that, that, um, that I, I boasted to Titus about you. I told Titus all these really good things about you. How about that? Despite all of their problems, and their problems were immense, that Paul knew what really counts, that these were actually brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had spoken well about them to Titus. It's just that they had hitched themselves to the wrong leaders. And in verse 15, he shares of, uh, of Titus' increased affection for them. That how he's come back, Titus is coming back, has come back loving them even more because of their obedience. How they received him with fear and trembling which led to sorrow and repentance. It's a good outcome, isn't it? What about, what are the lessons here for us? Let me say just two things. Firstly, we need to be wise about relationships, don't we? And we need to be wise about what happens, what the outcome is, you know, when someone... Uh, seeks to drive a wedge uh, between a, a godly leader in the church 
and the congregation. Church leaders should never be above criticism uh, because church leaders are sinful and there's no church leader that's the Apostle Paul and yet there are proper ways of raising concerns, of raising issues. There are proper ways. However, working behind the scenes, speaking unhelpfully to others, to sully a reputation, uh, to undermine a person uh, so as to change affections, well, that has the effect of drawing people away relationally so that uh, others close their hearts to the ministry of a, of a faithful Christian leader, no longer listening and no longer benefiting from their ministry because they've allowed themselves to be yoked unequally to someone else until maybe they get that wake-up call. We need to be wise about relationships. We need to be wise in the way that we deal with things so that we don't allow that to happen. Secondly, when we appoint leaders in the church, we don't yoke ourselves simply to someone simply because of their charisma. Uh, just as well sometimes, isn't it? I mean, the super apostles... Uh, in Corinth, they, they had plenty of charisma. Uh, charisma just oozed from them. Now, in passages like uh, 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus chapter 1, uh, we should be led by those who hold firmly to the truth of the gospel. We should be led by those who, who actively oppose those who refute the gospel we should be led by those whose lives are shaped by the gospel when the Corinthians received that difficult letter they realised hey we actually have someone like that his name is Paul come to think of it we actually love him a bit more than we thought Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for uh, your work in the Corinthian church that uh, despite all of their difficulties that they had trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, for the um, uh, warnings that Paul had given them and for his desire for them to have a good relationship with him so that he could be teaching them the truth and that they would be listening, not be led astray by those who had joined the congregation uh, with a different gospel. Father, we pray for us that we would be um, careful and wise in our relationships, that we uh, don't allow uh, those sorts of things to happen amongst us. We pray, Father God, for those who are leading us in all the different ministries in Bible study leadership, in eldership and uh, managing our, our financial and, uh, and property affairs and so on. 
that you would grant them a continued love for the, for the gospel, that they would be people who hold firmly to the truths of the gospel, that they would be able and willing to refute those who oppose the gospel, that their lives would be shaped by the gospel so that we as a church would be growing to be more the people that you would have us be. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.